Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 5. If you follow along on the Bible app, uh, then uh, we, uh, we, we, on our website, calvary.online, you can click today's message. That All of the notes will unfold there uh, for you. So we want you to follow along in the scripture, get all of the notes, get what God is saying to you, and let's grow in the grace that God has for us. Now, I've been sharing uh, with, with you for the past couple of weeks a message series called The Ministry of Jesus. And the reason that we do that is because we believe that God has called us to carry the cross to our families, to our church, to our community, and and to the uttermost parts of the world. But how do you do it? Well, if you really want to know how to carry the cross, you go back and look at the one who carried the cross. And he will show us how to become New Testament ministers. I don't know if you know this, but all of you are in ministry. All of you are in ministry, and some of you amen that, and others of you are like, "Uh uh-uh. No, I'm not. You're not going to get me up there on site. No, 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 no. I didn't say that all of you are called to the fivefold ministry, to the equipping ministries. I'm not saying that. But all of you, all of us together have a ministry. See, I'm called as a pastor to equip the saints for the works of ministry. So you have a ministry. If you're born again and you're in relationship with Jesus, you have a ministry. Now listen, people have all kinds of ideas about Christianity today. Some people think they know what it is. Yeah, you know, people have tried to boil it down to, oh, that is, uh, that is a philosophy to help society function at a higher level. We just try to make people behave, and so we give them this philosophy. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not just a way of thinking. It's a transformation that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit by believing in God's only Son, Jesus Christ. People have all kinds of weird ideas about Christianity. You know why? Because some Christians are weird. Look at your neighbor. Just look at them. If they are not weird... It might be you. <laughs> I'm just saying. So I, people get all kinds of ideas about Jesus from the way that we behave. And we got all kinds of weird ideas about what Christianity is. I heard about these two blondes that walked into a salon. You're not supposed to groan before the punchline. Let's try that again. I heard about these two blondes who walked into a salon, and the, the girl behind the desk, she just smiled, and she says, hi, it's, I'm so glad to see you. Are you guys sisters? One of the blondes, speak, she spoke up, and she says, no, silly, we're not even Catholic. Took a few minutes for some of you. It just it was a slow sisters. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so people have all kinds of ideas about ministry. They have all kinds of ideas about Christianity. But 
If you really want to figure out ministry, you need to go to Jesus. You need to look at him. And you need to say, okay, Jesus, if I've embraced something that is a little less or a little more than what you've defined it as, then God, help me to redefine this ministry and help me to take on the priorities that you have. Now, we're going to look at John chapter 5 today, and I want to speak to you a message called the priorities of ministry. You all have one, and I believe in this story, God shows us the priorities of ministry, how you and I are to function in daily ministry. Now, we're going to begin in verse 16, and we're going to read down through uh, verse 24. And it begins this way. It says, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background, and we're going to walk through this story and 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 jump uh, a, a little bit, you know, read forward and jump backwards in this chapter. But I, I want to call your attention to what Jesus says first in this passion uh, uh, pas- uh, passage that we have read, and it's simply this: the Father has been working until now, and I have been working. Now, if there was anything that Jesus could have said in the moment to calm the tensions, it would have never been this. If he was just simply just trying to stop making waves, he would have never said, my father has been working, and I have been working. Why? Because... All of these miracles and many would happen on the Sabbath day. And for these people, they said, we cease from working on the Sabbath. But Jesus said, my father has been working. And I have been working. Now, Why is that significant? Well, let me put it in a little more modern vernacular for you. 
while you've been resting, God's been moving. While you have assumed that God isn't working because you're not working, God has been working and you haven't been participating. And I want to tell you today, God is on the move in this hour. He is saving. He is reviving. He is healing. I have heard more testimonies, not in the far-flung spaces of the third world, more testimonies of healings and miraculous deliverance right here in this great United States. Miracles happening in California, in Texas, all over. Testimonies of people with incurable brain conditions and in a moment when a prayer meeting is happening they're driving down the road and a girl who has an incurable brain condition only can be possibly helped by surgery God reaches in while she's driving he's so dangerous (laughs) reaches in while she's driving thinking about this upcoming neurological surgery. And here's a snap within her skull. And God writes everything that's wrong in her brain. She actually got very nervous because she heard the snap and she thought, oh no, am I going to die and crash this car? And the voice of God says, I have righted every wrong in your brain. And the presence of God came and all of the pain left as she's driving down the road and as her parents are bending a knee to pray. I'm I'm telling you, God is on the move. But church, if we become convinced that God's on a Sabbath, then we'll excuse ours. We will excuse our inactivity by saying, no, he's not working. We'll go into prepper mode. And we'll, we'll, we'll start hoarding everything in because God's not moving, so i got to take care of myself. God's not moving, so i I, I got to do some things for me. And, and, and our inactivity uh, in the kingdom is directly in conflict to what actually is happening. So God's on the move, and I want to say this today. If you're here and you've been sick in your body... There are some people who are going to be miraculously healed and touched in this service. Why? Because God's moving. He's moving. He's working. And Jesus said, so am I. And I want you to understand this from this perspective. That we must suddenly come into cooperation with what God is doing in this moment. But how do you and I really do this? We need some kind of some practical instruction because, you know, what, we're, what we normally do in the church is, is we kind of come to church and we realize, man, for the last six days, I have been stumbling through Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and I've been making mistakes and I've been up and down and I haven't read the Bible since pastor preached it to me last Sunday, you know, and we feel all of our brokenness and suddenly as the, as the church, instead of looking up, we're looking down, we're just navel gazing. Oh, what was me? 
I'm so broken. And we look in there and say, oh, man, I found some lint. <laughs> My mom was mean to me as a kid. <laughs> what is that? I, oh, I don't I didn't get my stimulus yet. <laughs> and you know what happens when you're, you're simply focused on your brokenness? Everything that you hope that God will do will be an internal work when all along he is saying, I'll handle the internal work if you'll commit yourself to the external work that I want to show you. You see, every single one of you has a ministry. And if we'll let Jesus do in us what he has committed to do, then he will do through us what he has said he will do. So I want to give you a couple of things. You should, maybe you should write this down before I give you any points. The activity of the church is to be a reflection of the activity of heaven. The activity of the church is to be a reflection of the activity of heaven. Does, do, do our lives look like what heaven is doing? If not, why? And it could be that we don't have our priorities for ministry in line. Jesus, I believe, unveils them in, in, in a unique way in John 5. I want to give you these. They're very practical, but they do require action. And if we're going to prioritize the ministry that we all have and we want to be effective, then we'll grab hold of these few insights from John chapter 5. How do we prioritize ministry like Jesus first? Write this down. Watch. We must watch. John 5, 19 says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. What a unique way to describe how you are motivated for ministry. He says, the Son can do nothing of himself, but only what he sees the Father do. Notice that statement, sees the Father doing. I mean, it begs the question. He's been busy. He's been working. When did that happen? When is Jesus seeing the Father do something? Well, it's very simple. It's in prayer. It's in prayer. And it could be that we miss the first step of ministry. We hear it preached well. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. Go, go, go. Why? Why are, why are we preaching go so much? Here's why. Because of the lack of activity in the body of Christ. The lack of reach of the body of Christ. So we think, if we just say the words, the motivating words, then, then perhaps there will be a movement that begins. Well, the problem is, is that many times God's first instruction to us isn't go. Matter of fact, what Jesus did before he went, he said, I can't do anything unless I watch the Father. That's what he said. I can't do anything. 
I can do nothing of my own self. Nothing. You say, how can you be so sure of that? Because this is what Matthew 6, 6 says. These are the words of Jesus. It says, when you pray, go into your room. And when you shut the door, pray to your Father who is where? In the secret place. He's there. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. He says, listen, when you get into the place of watching and praying, he says, you are going to see the Father. And as a result of watching and saying, Dad, what are you doing? Let me see the activity of heaven. He says, you're going to go out and now there is going to be an open conference Confirmation of what you have seen in the secret place. The first step, guys, isn't out. I say it's down. It's to watch. It is to not step out before I would bow a knee and go into the secret place. And meet with the Father there. Notice what what Jesus did. This is a perfect example of this displayed in the life of Jesus. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 it says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. Now, what you need to get, if you read the whole context... Man, the disciples were going nuts. They got up. They started looking for him everywhere. He, was, he wasn't to be found. Jesus is gone. We need Jesus. This whole ministry is surrounded by Jesus, and now we can't find him. What is he doing? Doesn't he know? We're supposed to be busy. We're supposed to be going into ministry. What are we doing? And they're looking everywhere, and they finally find him. Peter's like, we've been looking everywhere for you. Peter does not address the search party. Jesus doesn't address it at all. He just just says, let us go into the next town and preach there. This is what he says. For this is my purpose. You see, it was in the secret place that Jesus got the marching orders about where the next city was to go to, the very next place to go to. He, he wasn't just, man, I'm just filling in my calendar just with, with whatever place. No, no, no. He went to a solitary place and he said, I can only do what I see the Father doing. He went and prayed. God showed him. And he, and he said, Peter, by the way, we're going to this city for this purpose. I have come to preach there. I wonder if more of us wouldn't be living this popular statement, the purpose-driven life, if we were living, living first a prayer-driven life. You see, it's a prayer-driven life that leads to a purpose-driven life because it's in prayer you see what the Father is doing. And it is there that you get heaven's invitation to to partner with him. Now, prayer kind of falls into two categories. First, there's felt needs, okay? That's, That's a good prayer to pray. You feel like you need something. You feel like, man, there's something I am missing. There's something that I need God to do. I need a healing. I need finances. I need God to, I just set my kids free. 
You've you got a felt need, right? It's right there. By the way, God loves to, for you to call on him and petition him and get those prayer needs met. Here, I'll prove it to you. He says, give us this day our daily. See, you know already. We can go to him for our needs. He loves that. But there is another lane of prayer. It's called God's desire. And many believers are really afraid to pray God's desire for their life. You know why? Because they feel like he'll take over. I'm going to let you in on something. Don't tell anybody else. Don't tell this side. He already has. (laughs) He's already taken over. But when you begin to pray, God, show me your desire for my life. I've heard people, well-meaning people, they say, I'm not praying about going on the mission field. God will send me to some place. I'll end up someplace, you know, they don't have carpet, electricity. I mean, Im- immediately, it's the worst possible thing on the planet. Man, if, God, if I pray about going on a mission field, oh! You know what you're saying? You're a terrible dad. Because I want to tell you, church, the greatest place to live in your ministry is in the fullness of God's desire for you. It's in the fullness of God's desire for you. That's where you say, show me what you're doing. I want to do that. Let me show you one verse where these worlds of prayer and activity begin to collide. In Isaiah chapter 21, verse 6, it says, Thus says the Lord to me, Go set a watchman and let him declare what he sees. This is what we are called to do. Our first message isn't to go. It is to first pray. It is to first watch. And then what? Declare what we we see. In the New Testament, Jesus says it this way. He says, what you have heard whispered in the ear, shout from the rooftops. God wants to bring you into a place of intimacy where you know I am walking in perfect synergy with the desire of God in my life. Not walking perfectly, but walking in synergy with him. That means I add my will to his power and he changes the world. Let me put a new prayer on your list. You should write this down. Probably most of you have never prayed this. When you wake up tomorrow and you thank God for breath and life and another day, I dare you to pray this prayer. Father, show me what you're doing. Show me what you're doing. I know Jesus lived this kind of prayer. And if we'll begin to pray it, God will do it. The second thing that you need to know about the priority of ministry is that Jesus not only watched, but then Jesus worked. You need to hear this. Jesus worked. 
John 5, 19, the last part of the verse says, for whatever he does, the father, the son also does in like manner. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, I spoke to you the message called the first miracle. It's at the wedding of Cana. Do you remember there? They had run out of wine. Do you remember Mary's instructions to the servants? And it was this, it was whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says, do it. By the way, it is wonderful that you could go into the place of prayer and have revelation of the desire of God. However, it will never have the internal impact unless you actually do it. You not only have to watch, you have to work. And I know that, man, for some of us, there was, there was a couple of things in church that we were terrified when we heard the words, right? I don't know, I don't come from a, a spirit-filled, charismatic background. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit at 12. I was terrified of what happened to me. I never even prayed in the Spirit until I was age 21 because of what I had heard from zero to 12, I was terrified of a couple of things. Satan, because Satan was doing everything. He did everything. You know, Satan works miracles. I heard that. And evidently, in my hometown, Satan was playing drums on Christian radio. Come on, some of y'all are laughing. Some of y'all young people are like, really? Oh, yeah. They're playing them evil African beats. I was like, Satan's a good drummer. <laughs> I mean, I was terrified of Satan. Satan's doing miracles. He's, he's, he's totally deceiving people. Jesus, not so much. Well, we can't expect him to really do anything. And here, oh boy, but right behind Satan, this word terrified the congregation. I didn't know why. And it was this word. Works. This was the beginning of the whole snowflake movement. We are so terrified of how the church will respond to, to the idea that they are saved by grace, but we can't mix at all any idea that they have to do anything. Otherwise, they are going to begin to think that they are earning their salvation by their works. We, no, works, bad. Bad. Satan works. And I got good news for you, church. We're going to dispel a few of these rumors. You were born again for works. You were born again for works. Listen, right after the greatness of the grace of God is declared in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? This is so good. For, uh-oh, this is a continuing thought. I don't know why we never quoted verse 10 in that little church where we were scared of Satan and works. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for 
good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Believe me, you're not saved by works, but if you are saved, you will live doing good works. And we cannot excuse our inactivity another day. Otherwise, we are missing the page that was supposed to be written for us today. Prepared beforehand. You're never getting today back. There'll be grace for tomorrow. But don't miss the work that God has for you today. See, the context of this whole thing is the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. And this is, this is the work that, that angered everyone, that, that, that Jesus would be coming to celebrate the feast, and he comes in through the sheep gate, and there by the pool at Bethesda are all of these who are sick and infirm. And the, the scripture says that occasionally an angel would come down, stir the waters, and if someone got in, they would be supernaturally healed. And so this is the scene. Jesus is now coming to the feast. And this is right before the Pharisees are like, man, we got to kill this guy. Notice what happened here. It says, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years, and Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had been in that condition a long time, and he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk, and immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. I love this. Can I just walk you through this? And can I just, I hope that you'll grab some of the ministry steps that Jesus took as he is working what the Father showed him. First, Jesus saw this man. There were others there, but Jesus saw him. And not only did Jesus see him, but Jesus had compassion on him because he said he knew he had been there for a long time. You could tell. And Jesus was moved by his pain and his brokenness. And then next, this is my favorite. Jesus overcame his excuses. Do you remember the question he asked, do you want to be made well? He said, sir. The only way I'm getting healed if, is if a man picks me up when the angel comes and stirs the water and I beat another person into the water. Did you know that Jesus didn't address his thinking at all? Did you know that possibly that when you go out of this place, and you find someone broken, and you find someone who is limping through life, and someone who doesn't know Christ, that they're probably going to give you every excuse in the book about why it will only work the way they think it will work. If you didn't hear last week's message about limiting God with our thinking... You should go back and hear that and, and then pray with us all last week's prayer time because God wants to remove the limited thinking. And if you run up on somebody who's got limited thinking 
and that all they have is excuses about why Christianity won't work. Don't engage them in the argument. God has not called you to be an argument. He has called you to be a demonstration of the work the Father is doing. By the way, do not elbow your neighbor, but if you are the one that makes excuses about why things don't work for you, and you're always saying why it won't work. I want to give you a little statement that I read in a leadership book by Zig Ziglar years ago. It really helped me and a lot of students through the years when I was doing youth ministry. And it's simply this statement, excuses rob you of power. Excuses rob you of power. And never... Never, ever give a limited excuse to an unlimited God. Never offer a limited excuse to an unlimited God. You know why? Because he's just going to say, get up. Get up. I can't get up. Get up. He says, do you want to be made well? The guy didn't even say yes. He just said I got an excuse. And Jesus said, rise up. Church, I want to tell you the words of Jesus in this passage where we work in like manner. We must see, be compassionate, overcome excuses, and heal broken uh, broken humanity. As I read the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, I know many people want to erase these words. And erase the responsibility that comes along with these words. Jesus said to them, says, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's what that means. God is moving. He is near. And then what do you do? Matthew 10 says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Listen, when I look at that as a work assignment, here's what I realize. I can either give myself to a work that is measured based upon my gifting. I ask God's blessing on that and perhaps... It it does have some measure of worldly success. Guess who gets the credit for that kind of work? I do. But when you enter into Matthew chapter 10, heal the sick, uh, you're not getting credit for that one. (laughs) Cleanse the leper? Not leopard. Otherwise the world would be filled with pumas. (laughs) Lepers. Raise the dead. Last time I checked, you know, we're just not doing that on the regular. 
Could it be that the work that God is calling us to is the work that requires him to move in our life? It requires us to take a step of faith, to pray, to ask, to invite, and to say, God, I saw you healing a man at a pool at the sheep gate. So I went there and I did what you told me to do. I remember a night we were here in prayer. On a Wednesday night, and I was, I was kind of at the end of a, a fast, and at the, at the end of this prayer, all of a sudden I get this like picture rises in my heart. It's of a young girl. She's wearing a, a, a Sonny's barbecue shirt, but she's holding this puppy, and she's stroking this dog, and I see tears falling on the fur. Now, I got real excited, number one, because I knew God was saying, you can eat barbecue, okay? <laughs> you can eat barbecue after prayer. I was like, yes. But I also knew that there was something more that, we, that I was to step into. There was something the Father was showing me, and now a work that I had to do. Now, listen, Three days of not eating regularly, you're tired after a service, despite what you think. I don't hide a cape under here. I go home and nap on Sunday. After a service, you're weary, but you have a choice. Do I do what I saw the Father doing? So I did. A bunch of people went. As I said, I said, wow, I just saw a girl. She had a dog, and I described this whole thing in great detail. We drove there, and I pulled in, and this girl, and I won't go into all the details, but this girl's name was Olivia. God has given me assignments with girls named Olivia. One got out of a wheelchair. One got out of a life-changing uh, wound. Another one was right here and not speaking, and God opened her mouth immediately, <laughs> loosed her tongue. And so I walk in, and I'm still like going, God, I saw you in a, in a barbecue restaurant. And I walk in, and when she turned, I saw her name was Olivia. And so I sat down. I'm like, oh, I know she's the assignment. And I said, she said, hey, what can I get you there? I said, before that, I said, do you have a dog? It's about this size. It's this and this color. It's just like this. She goes, yes. <laughs> and I said, well, I was in prayer about an hour ago, and I was praying, and I saw you were holding that dog, and you were stroking it, and you were weeping, and I want you to know that God sees you, and he loves you, and tonight he has sent us here to let you know that you are not going to be buried in this circumstance, but he's going to raise you up out of it. And listen, the menus fell everywhere. She started ugly crying. <laughs> And at that point, I didn't even know what to do. I'm like, ah. I mean, it's the restaurant. She's weeping on the table. We're trying to pick up the menus, and God's moving. And we ministered life to Olivia that night. But here's what I want to tell you. It would have been nothing. The revelation would have meant nothing without the work. The step of faith that says, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of faith to go get the sliced pork, Okay. <laughs> But it does take faith to say, hey, you have a small dog. It's this color and this color, and I saw you weeping on it. 
and trust that that was God. You see, God wants to show you what he's doing, but then you've got to step into the work. And then there's a third step, and I, I won't belabor this. But the third step feels like the first step, but it's not the same. The third step is you have to wait. You watch, you work, and then you wait. You see, it says, for the father loves the son, and notice the future tense, and shows him all things that he himself does, and will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. He says, listen, after you've learned to watch and work, you must enter back into a place called trust. You must enter back into that place of waiting. We've been hearing it all year long, 2021, right? Isaiah 40, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. There's a renewal. God is making all things new. We know this, but it comes in the waiting, in the trusting, and supernaturally, I know this morning, Morning, that there are those of you who started a course in God. You cried out to the Lord. He spoke to you. He did something. And you're like, oh, what now? You're in this weird place called transition. And when you're in transition, you have to trust. You have to trust that he will show you again. And he will show you greater things than what you saw before. You are meant to have another revelation, another assignment. And if you got your answer yesterday, God wants to unfold a fresh vision for today or next week or next month or next year and however he wants to speak it. Can I just say this? Great, the greatest mistakes in ministry often follow the greatest successes. I have had to counsel women who their whole life was wrapped up in praying for their husband that wasn't born again. And he finally comes to Christ and he's living for God, and God starts moving in their life, in his life, and they're kind of like, well, now what do I live for? I, my assignment was to fix him. And God did that. Now what? And they're falling apart. And many times, that's what happens in our life. We kind of start to step into the things of God. God speaks to us. We do it. We act. And then, instead of waiting, we think, I got this. I'll just keep moving. I'll use my history. I'll use my wisdom. I'll use, I'll use all of the stuff that I've collected in the beginning of this journey. And instead of waiting and going, okay, I trust you that you're going to show me something even greater something that I didn't know that's going to get me back to the place of watching and working for you. Let me give you a couple of things to just kind of immerse yourself in if you are in transition. 
First, the Father loves you. This is a thought you have to immerse yourself in when you're in transition, when you're in that moment where you're saying, I have to trust. God hasn't abandoned you. You have to say, I I, I am loved by the Father. Ephesians three seventeen through 19 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's saying, listen, when you're waiting, you need to know. And this is what Jesus said in John 5, for the Father loves the Son. And I want to tell you, to all the sons in here, the Father loves you. And if you're in transition and you're saying, God, what do I do next? First, and you feel like, man, I'm lost. I, where do I go? Don't make the mistake of stepping out before God speaks again. What do you do? You immerse yourself in knowing God loves you, son. God loves you. And it's, it's bigger than you know. Daughter, it's bigger than you know. And then next, you have to know God will show me the next opportunity. You see in Luke 8.10, Jesus said these words, to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it's given in parables, seeing that they may not see and hearing that they may not understand. Here's what you need to know. God doesn't want to keep secrets from you. He says to you it's been given to know. You can know. You can know God's assignment for your life. You can know what he wants to work in you. And through you, I can remember a few years ago, I was praying about a mission trip over the summer for, the, for our kids, and I kept hitting these walls. I was like, man, we've got missionaries in, in Honduras, you know, oh, yeah, no, and I hit a wall, and it, it just didn't work out, and then I, oh, we've got missionaries in other parts of the world, maybe we go back to Africa, and I hit a wall. I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do. And on a Saturday night, I had a dream. And there in the dream, it was almost verbatim, Acts 16. A man was standing in Macedonia saying, come over here. Looked just like the Bible. I woke up, I thought, Macedonia? I was like, I better Google map that. I don't even know where that is. Where's Macedonia. And then I, I, I'm like, okay, God, I know nobody in Macedonia. I, I got nothing. I know Acts 16, but I got nothing for Macedonia. I came to church that week. And that week we were hosting a missionary. Minister Ed White from L.A., Lower Alabama. He stood on this stage that next day and said, my name is Ed. This is my wife. We're selling everything, and we're going to Macedonia, and we're looking for people who would come alongside. I'm like, God, for real? <laughs> you say, why did he do it? Because standing in the dumps outside the city of Skopje 
were these little Muslim children that we went and rounded up. And we brought them to this school and presented the gospel to them. And they would bring their Muslim parents with them. We preached the gospel and their kids got born again right in front of them. Making a decision to follow Christ. I know that God will show you the next step. Even when you got no idea what the next step is. Watch, work, and wait. Let me give you one final thought, and I'll close with this. The last verse that we read in this passage is very important. It's John 5, 24. These are the words of Jesus. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word believes them believes in him who sent me, has everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Make no mistake. There is no ministry in our life unless we have been ministered to by the only Son of God who came to rescue us, cleanse us of our sins, and pour his Spirit out on us. We must simply believe, repent, and believe. You'll be born again, and God will set you on a path to living a life which is significantly used by him.